Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life. Well, today I get a chance to have a conversation with a good friend, and you guys get to listen in. Pat Lencioni, we have a lot in common. Irish and Italian names, similar values and faith and life and approach to business and success. Brothers from different mothers, as my mother used to say. I I almost said it. I was about (laughs) to say it myself, Brian. (laughs) Pat, I'm so delighted to have you on here today. And I'm excited because there's a lot of people today write a book. Very few people have ever written books, and especially the books you've written that have had the kind of success that you've had. Millions and millions and millions of copies of your books. We just had you at our team leader conference where you spoke on the five dysfunctions of a team, which I know is old hat to you, but it's still a revelation to people. And for the people we had in that room that are younger in leadership, they're forming their teams, they've had their teams, it's revolutionary stuff. And you're like, ah, that's old hat. Just That's like teaching (laughs) my kids, please and thank you. But I'm so excited. You have this brand new book that just came out today. Thank you for the advanced copy of it, by the way. Fantastic work. It's called The Six Types of Working Genius, A Better Way to Understand Your Gifts. And uh, you understand your gifts, you understand your frustrations, you understand your team. It's brilliant stuff. I think it's accumulation of everything I've seen in your career over the past 20 years. And it's exciting to see it all kind of come together in this new work, along with this system you have behind it called Working Genius. I'm sure we'll get into that. Pat, we're delighted to have you back, and I hope you're fired up and excited about this new book and this new work. And I'm fired up and excited just to talk to you. So this, yeah. I could talk to you for hours. We'll try to condense it to uh, <laughs> yes. something that's listenable. Well, we do talk for hours, but we'll leave this part for the public here. So talk. let's dive right in. I want to be as helpful as I can to people. Give me the background. Why did you create the work in Genius? What is it? How did it evolve? How did we get to where we are today? Yeah, I think it is kind of the culmination of a lot of things I've done in my career. But but the truth is, I came up with this by accident, trying to solve a problem for myself, because I was running my own company for 23 years at the time. And I loved the people I worked with. I loved what I did. But I was frequently frustrated. I'd come to work excited. And by within a couple of hours, sometimes I'd be really grumpy. And I didn't know why. And finally, one of my colleagues said, why are you like that? And she she asked it not in an accusatory way. She's like, "What what's going on with you? Why do you do that? And this has been going on for 20 years. And I said, I don't know, but I really want to figure it out. And over the course of four hours, somehow, I I feel like I blacked out. On the whiteboard, I do everything on a whiteboard. There were six circles up there. And what I did is I was thinking like, what is it when I get grumpy, I'm doing this. When I'm happy, I'm doing this. When I'm productive, I'm doing this. When I'm frustrated, I'm doing this. And, And just to solve my own problem, I figured out that there were six different kinds of work that had to happen. And I was only good at two of them. Mm. And I was finding myself coming to work every day doing things that I didn't like just because I thought I was supposed to. Right. And, uh, and as a result of that, so we had these six circles on a board. One of our consultants saw it, shared it with a, a client the next day, a CEO who was in tears when he saw it. He was like, oh my gosh, this explains everything. Day by day, more people were hearing about it. And we finally said, this is universal. Three months later, we launched an assessment. And... Somebody said to me three days after we discovered this, they said, this will be bigger than the five dysfunctions of a team. And it's, it, it is. Hmm. We, we think this is going to be bigger than anything we've ever done. Far more than a quarter of a million people have taken it even before the book came out. 
So it was an accident, Brian, and I'm so thankful to God because I'm doing less of the things I'm bad at. I'm doing more of the things I'm good at, and that makes me better and the other people around me better. We've been down this path a little bit of Buffini Company ourselves. The organization needs all six circles. Exactly. It needs them all. The next thing is sometimes the dominant default, the circles take over. Right. Right. And there's also seasons. So when seasons of struggle, the safety side take over. Right. Or when you're really up against the wall, now the creative people might have a, they're all of a sudden they're given permission. Right. And so there's <laughs> different seasons and different reasons for things. The bottom line is the fish rots from the head. The fish gets healthy from the head. Yeah. You know, you started with yourself and then you worked your way through the whole team. And I have the exact same thing. I have the exact same thing with my organization. And, you know, we are a company. We've been the best place to work in San Diego six years in a row. We have these off the charts retention levels and excitement levels of our employees and so on and so forth. But I find myself banging my head against the wall frequently and many people banging their head against the wall frequently because of the blurred lines between these six circles where we end up doing things, A, we're not gifted at, B, things that are not the highest and best calling of the vision or purpose of the company, and then C, sometimes it's the loudest voice in the room that's really committed to their circle and their circle only dominates the world, and we all got to be one way. So absolutely. now that we've salted the oats for people, I think we probably want to get into the magic formula here because, again... We're talking to largely an audience of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of small business owners here. Well, and that's what I love. When you said it, uh, a business rots like a fish, you know, from the head down, it is really true. And, and that means the leader has to take care of him or herself first mm -hmm. so that other people can be healthy. And I, I love talking to entrepreneurs because whether you have, if you have five people in your company or three or, or hundreds, if you don't know who you are and celebrate the gifts God gave you, and if you don't know what you don't have in terms of gift, yep. you can't allow other people to fill in the gaps for you. Yep. And that's what happened to me. I stopped doing the things I shouldn't, and I allowed other people, because one man's trash is another man's treasure. And the right. things I didn't like to do, there was another guy going, I love doing that. Right. And I was like, you're kidding. I could give that to you. And they said, <laughs> my job would be so great if you let me do that. <laughs> right. Right. What's the old uh, nursery rhyme? Jack Spratt could eat no fat. His wife could eat no lean. They swapped their plates and licked them clean. Right. And that's right. You, know, you have these types of things. I also think it's very hard in human nature and especially hard in leadership to admit you have shortcomings. Yeah. Frailties. I'm more likely to celebrate what I don't do than even my gifts. Yeah. I'm like, nope, I know I don't do that. I'm going to get people to help me. But I find that's something that is rare. I know when I was a young leader, I thought I was supposed to have all the answers. I was supposed to demonstrate strength in all areas. And it wasn't until I became very aware of my shortcomings. And I don't abdicate them, but I sure as heck delegate them. That's the thing. And you still have to be willing to do things that you don't like to do from time to time. Of course. And you have to, be, you have to value them mm. and, and cherish the people that do them well. So you're, like you said, you're not abdicating, but there are people in organizations who go, well, I hate details, so screw it. We're not going to do that. And it's like, you're, well, right. your organization is going to suffer. No, yes. instead, celebrate the person who loves details, thank them, appreciate them, allow right. them to do what they do because it's a gift. So. Right. But if the person who's great at the details doesn't celebrate the visionary creative type, uh, they'll have details, but they'll be out of a job one day. Well, and that's the beauty. So I'm a speaker, right? I was saying to my wife the other day, I was watching some guys golf. And I said, I don't know how they do that. That would be so scary to do that. And they said, yeah, they'd probably have a hard time speaking in front of 10,000 people. Right. And yet I think, right. no, that's easy. Yeah. What that golfer is doing, 
is hard. <laughs> yes. And that's the beauty in life. God made us to need each other. And when six yeah. people sit around a table and they share their geniuses, everybody says, I'm glad you do that because I don't like it. Well, I'm glad you do that because I don't like it and I'm not good at it and it all works. Well, I don't want to tease the audience and frustrate them here. Let's dive in to the six types of working genius. And again, this is not an exhaustive expose. That's why you have a book. But let's, let's go through it because I think what I want people to do is see themselves in one or two of these circles and then also see the value in other people that surround them that have these other circles. So let's kind of walk through it. The first one that I came across in your book was wonder. That's the genius of of it lives, Brian, up at 50,000 feet in the clouds. It's like the person mm-hmm. who notices what's going on and asks questions and says, why are things like this? Could it be better? Is this the way it should be? I wonder if there's a better way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they naturally do this. My wife does it. My son who helped develop this tool does it. They sit and they they can't help themselves, but ask these questions. Mm-hmm. And, and most people that have this as a genius don't think it's a genius because throughout their lives, people are saying, why are you still asking questions? Why are you always doing that? It's like, cause mm-hmm. God made them to do that. And every endeavor, every business, every new product, every family vacation comes about because somebody says, Hey, what about this? Should we do this? Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're inventing something. They're just asking the question and noticing the the need for potential in something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely critical. It's undervalued and it's even, it's hard for people to even identify it, but it's completely a genius. And it's the first one that happens in any organization. Don't you think the trend is that people devalue any genius that's not their own? If I'm a detailed person and I come across a wonder person, I'm like, oh, the head's in the clouds. They're a dreamer. They don't actually get their hands dirty. They don't do the work. They just live at 50,000 feet. But the rest of us actually work on the ground. And then this person also, sometimes this person, because of that gift, has suffered the consequences of maybe not having it anchored or rooted. And so therefore, in the back of their mind, they have the little voice, maybe I am just a dreamer. Right. And, and you know what's funny? So you're exactly right. And the beauty of taking this assessment and looking at the results as a team, we have a team map. We mm-hmm. did this with an executive team right after the assessment came out. And th- this was like a 12 or $15 billion software company that was never out ahead of the market. They were always behind. And they took it and the CFO looked at it and said, oh my gosh, here's our problem. None of us have wonder. Mm. In fact, most of us have it as one of the things we hate the most. <laughs> this is why we've been behind in the market for years. Yeah. We never sit yeah. around in meetings and go, what's going on in the market? Do you think our customers are happy? Maybe we should be thinking about this differently. They were all about execution and, and getting things done and meeting deadlines. And he said, if we don't learn to wonder or bring somebody in here who can teach us how to do that, we will never catch up. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's talk about invention. Wonder leads to invention, doesn't it? Yes. Because somebody asks that question and somebody else is gifted at solving it. Some, I, this is my favorite thing is that I love to come up with new ideas out of nowhere to solve problems. Like if somebody says, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? I'm like, Ooh, let me come up with a way to do that. And don't give me any more context. Let me just dream this. Let me, let me, let me actually come up with the idea. I cannot help but invent. I do it every day, even when it's not necessary, Brian, as my sure. wife will yep, tell yep. you, it's, that's what makes these a gift. It's where I get my joy and energy. Mm-hmm. So, so, and people will think, well, only the people that invent are geniuses. No, that's not true. All of these are geniuses. These are just the ones that people call a genius, but it's, it's just a natural ability to come up with something out of nothing. 
I love to do that. It's why I write books. It's why I, I invent products and I do these things. My, my wife has this too. We in, we've invented a board game. She's written a musical and we, we wrote a book <laughs> years ago. We cannot help it. And we're yeah. meant to use the gifts God gave us. Right. And then the goal is how to get it rooted so that it can get executed, right? Then you need these other geniuses to come alongside to make this invention come to life, as opposed to that many a person who has, who's seen an invention come to life and they go, I had that thought. I've had that thought. Yes. And, but they, they never took it to market. They never brought right. it out as a product. They never built it as a business. And they go, I had the invention, but they didn't have enough. You know, my friend Bob Bodine says, we're all a half cup short, right? We all need right. other people and other help and other support. And without putting that together in the team, like that CFO said, man, we need to get wonder or we're going to always be behind. My dad told me, God rest his soul, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And he said, when I told him I was leaving my job as a vice president at a software company to start my own firm. And he was like, oh, you had benefits there. And then he said, and then I said, and dad, I'm going to bring these four people with me that I work with. And he goes, no, 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 no. Go out on your own. When you make enough money to afford them, then hire them. I said, dad, I'm, I'm bad at so many things. If I don't bring them on, I'm never going to make any money because they do the things yeah. I'm terrible at. Yep. And see, that's the thing. We need each other. And I would have never, I would have had a zillion book ideas and none of them would have gotten finished if I didn't. And I had almost word for word that conversation with my father, only I had six. So I brought six people. And he's uh, like, how are you going to, how are you going to pay them when you can't pay yourself? Right. <laughs> oh, God bless them. God you know? bless them is right. Uh, the next one is discernment. Now, that's a big word. It has a lot of connotations. I'd love to know specifically in the working genius, what do you mean by discernment? This one is so important because like, as you talked about, you have the inventor comes up with an idea. A person with discernment is good at evaluating that idea. And they mm-hmm. do it through gut feel and instinct and uh, intuition and, and what we call, you know, pattern recognition and integrative thinking. I mean, and, and this is truly a gift. There are people in the world who are just good at looking at something and assessing it and being right most of the time. And it's not because they're an expert or they have data or linear thinking. They can look at a situation like the Cody on our team did. He saw this model and he said, this will be, this was like the first week into it. We didn't even know we were going to do anything. He said, this is bigger than the five dysfunctions of a team. And his gut was just telling him that. We have a woman in our office named Tracy who has discernment. Even when she was a kid, people asked her for advice. Mm-hmm. And she is this person who just looks at things and knows, has really good sound assessments of things. And my wife will constantly say to me, whether I'm saying, should we refinance our house or where should we go on vacation? Or do you think we should hire these people? She says, have you asked Tracy yet? (laughs) Tracy always knows. Everybody goes to Tracy. And it's a real gift too. It's not magic. It's not, it's very real. It's just not easily, it's not data-driven. Well, you know, we have a Tracy and it's Ryan McCarter is his name. And what we do is we have all these businesses, ideas and things, people coming to us all the time with joint ventures. And we kind of put them into Ryan's hand. He's the business development guy. And and he'll wrestle through all the permutations and go, okay, this is a winner. This is okay. This is a waste of our time. And it also stops us from getting so bunged up because obviously one thing is you can have an idea every morning. Yeah. And an idea is not a business plan, Right. You probably had 25 other inventions since the time you first thought of working genius. But at the end of the day, if you tried to, as a small business, execute on all 25, no one would ever hear about working genius, and there wouldn't even be a book. Exactly. And it'd be just, Pat, go out and speak more. Just do more speaking, Pat. That's what you need to do. Right. And, and trusting that person's discernment and letting them do that mm-hmm. 
is a gift to them because it's something they're great at. You know what Tracy does? She did not have a background in literature, anything else. She's my book editor. Wow. And I don't mean like a copy editor looks for typos. I mean, like every night when I'm writing, I'll send her a chapter and the next day she'll go, this character doesn't make sense. I love this part. And I really, I write for her because Mm -hmm. if she likes it, I'm winning. If she doesn't (laughs) like it, I'm not because she has that great discernment and she takes my I and uses the D and that's great. That's brilliant. So wonder, invention, discernment. Next one is galvanizing. This is very team building stuff here. Talk about galvanizing. Yeah, it's not one of my geniuses. It's it's in my middle area, which is called a competency. I don't get a lot of joy and energy from it, but I can do it a little bit. Mm. But it's the thing I was doing every day that was driving me crazy. I'd come into work ready to invent, which my team needs me to do. And then I was pushing constantly and reminding people. And, and I like the, the initial stage of it, which is rallying people a little around something. So these mm-hmm. are people that wake up in the morning and push and rally and, and, and get people going. And they never get tired of reminding people. And it's the brave heart attribute, right? It's freedom, freedom, freedom. Right. And it's the brave heart that doesn't write off after and go, okay, it's up to you guys now. Don't make me do that. Again. They'll do it again the next day and the next day. And it's a gift. Yeah. And when you're doing something that's not your gift too much, you burn out. So I found this guy in my organization named Cody. When we did this, the guy, and I said, you're good at this. And he goes, I love galvanizing. I said, you're the new chief galvanizing officer. Now that doesn't mean as the CEO, as the leader, I don't have to do that, but it's like his job is to keep on top of things and to keep Uh people moving and to come in and say, what are we doing? Uh So, and he's happy. We're getting more done in less time than ever before because people are working in their geniuses and people that don't have those geniuses are allowing them to. Hmm. So galvanizing is critical. Let me ask you this off the subject a little bit. What if you have someone who likes the idea or is attracted to the concept? Like, oh, yes, I see myself as a galvanizer, but not everybody else does. How do you deal with that? And again, I know that gets into this area where you have the circles cross over into they might have a competency, but not a gift. Like I get this all the time. I want to be a speaker, you know, and I want to do what you do, Brian. And I go, well, it might not be as easy as you think it is. How do you deal with that in an organization where somebody wants to have a different attribute or genius than they do? Sometimes that happens. Thank God that the assessment has been the face validity and the reliability is very high. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have that. What I would say is, though, if you look at their other genius, you have two of them. And the difference between a person that has galvanizing and wonder Uh versus a person that has galvanizing and tenacity, which we'll talk about in a second, is very different. Mm. So sometimes I say, well, I'm good at galvanizing. And we're like, yeah, but what's your other genius? It's this. They play off one another. So there's mm-hmm. with the six types, that means there's 15 permutations and combinations of pairs, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have, an, we have different descriptions of the pairs. Mm-hmm. So a WG is called a philosophical motivator, right? That's someone with wonder and galvanizing. Right. Versus a person that has G and T, and Matt gave me the list here, is called an assertive driver. Mm-hmm. So... Those are very different. And right. so what we say to people is don't just look at one letter, look at them both, go through the process and then see, because some people that, that galvanize a certain way, it doesn't work for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Now, there are people too that wish they had an attribute and they don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people say, I think I have discernment. And that's why we really have to describe it to them. And if they don't, we have to go, well, you got to really embrace the real ones that you have. And we usually right. can do that. Focus on the positives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this next one is enablement, right? So enabling sounds like a terrible thing, 
But why is enablement a genius? Yeah, we think of it usually in terms of alcohol or drug addiction or something, right. enabling somebody to do a bad behavior. But enabling, and we looked for a better word, Brian, we really did, but this was the best word. Some people are naturally gifted at helping others, enabling them to get things off the ground. Mm-hmm. And and when somebody says, gosh, we should do this, there are people that naturally go, yep, count me in, what do you need me to do? Mm-hmm. They will help you on your terms because they actually get joy and energy from seeing other people's ideas and other people's activities, helping them get them done. And it's not because they're nice and it's not because they're easily convinced of something. It's an absolute gift. And we know that because there are people that cannot do it. And these are some of the most valuable people in an organization on a team. Oftentimes they downplay their gift because they think it's easy. I have an organization that I helped run that had no enablement in it. People are like, why do we have great ideas? And people get excited and then it doesn't happen. It's like, because nobody wants to come along and help. And bring it to life and make it happen. Exactly. Right. Like I'll lift. I will volunteer my time and energy to do what you need to get this going. And we we love these people, but we don't necessarily think of it as a genius, but it absolutely is. Well, without them, the trains don't run, the planes don't land. Oftentimes they're the steel in the structure. It's true. And it's like the job of leaders to celebrate them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they get undersell. Like, if I come up with an idea, that's the first 10%, you know, inspiration. Then perspiration is the last 90%. And people want to talk, people look at this all the time. They look at entrepreneurs and it, or, you know, like we know this in the organizations. They go, look at that guy who invented something. It's like, yeah, but you know how many people helped implement that and bring it about? And yet we pay attention sometimes. Like the offensive linemen in football don't get very much attention, but the quarterbacks, the good ones know. It's like, if these guys didn't block for me, I'd I'd be terrible. And in the sport, there's a reason those guys get paid so much. That's right. You know what I mean? Because they know. And I see the tension between the wonder invention people and the enablement person. Because almost like if you remember the show The Office, you had the crazy leader, Michael Scott, and then you had (laughs) the HR guy. And the HR guy, Toby, he just hated him because Michael wanted to run an office based on fun and Toby wants to run an office based on rules. Right. You know, and here you have the inventor, the wonder person loves the ideas, gets renewed by ideas, invents, creates, solves the problem, and the enabler is slowing things down to go, okay, but how does this work, and how do we do this, and how do we join the dots, and all the details that have to get executed in there. So there is that healthy tension that needs to exist. And, you know, and it was funny on that show, it was so dark that he hated him so much. <laughs> and that guy was the only thing that probably kept Michael out of jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <right. laughs> you know, and he hated him. Yeah. But the truth is, those first two things, wonder and invention, are what we call ideation. Yes. That's when like, hey, good ideas. But enablement and tenacity, the next one we're going to talk about, are are implementation. Mm -hmm. And you need them both. But the key is in the middle, the D and the G, the discernment and galvanizing are what's called the activation. We had a guy from Nike take this right when it came out. And he said, oh my gosh, he, he was an innovator at Nike. He said, we struggle because we go from ideation to implementation. Mm-hmm. So the, the the idea people will throw an idea over the wall and say, this is great. And the implementers will go, this isn't great. We don't even know what to do with this. Right. And they realize they, they weren't doing enough discernment and galvanizing, which was evaluating the idea, tweaking it, and then getting people on board. So it goes ideation, activation, and then implementation and enablement uh-huh. people. They are the first people to start the implementation process. And the last of the last but not least, of the implementation people then is the tenacity as the sixth one. The sixth wonder of the Lencioni world. <laughs> That's right. A pyramid someplace in South America. And um, <laughs> this is the one that finishes everything. Mm-hmm. So the enablement person loves to come alongside and say, let me help, which is great. 
But the tenacity person says, hey, I'm going to blow through obstacles and we are going to finish. We're going to do it on time. We're going to make sure it's good, that it meets our needs and that it has the impact. So if you give somebody, and I don't have none of this, by the way, Brian, if you give somebody a job to do with tenacity and it's not doable or nobody cares to follow through, they lose their joy and energy. They love waking up in the morning and saying, we are going to push it across the finish line and get Uh it done. Now, for a person like me, I hug these people regularly because they are the ones that take this book and after I write the beginning of it, say, okay, you got to keep writing. It's not good enough yet. We got to find a way to to finish this. And if it weren't for them, I would be useless. Right. But you do something and you talk about it naturally where you value those people. And that is, I think in an organization, that's the hardest thing. I appreciate it because at the end of the day, you want your integrity, your design. For me, if you come up with an idea and it doesn't get executed, and what's the point of it? You know, right. it's worthless. So we have to have these people. Sometimes these people can be so focused on the finish, they can lose sight of the idea and the vision. So I wonder when we talk through this, how do you continue to bring value to those that are so different than yourself? Yeah, you appreciate them and you teach them to understand why they need each other, that nobody exists in a vacuum. No man is an island. And when you have people that can't appreciate types that they don't have, that's a problem on a team. And But but having this list and when people look at their results, they go, oh my gosh. And it's just as important to celebrate what you're terrible at. So so remember before I said there's two, two, and two, two, two mm-hmm. geniuses. Yeah. That's the coffee cup you poured into like a... Uh, what, what do you call those Yeti things? And you put the lid on yeah, it right. and it stays hot for weeks. You know, <laughs> that we can do things in our area of genius forever and we stay warm. Mm. Then the middle one, the competencies, which you can do them for a while. That's like pouring coffee into a cup and putting a little plastic lid on it at Starbucks. It stays warm for a while. Your working frustrations are the cup that has a little hole in the bottom of it and you pour it in there and it drains right away. It drains us of joy and energy. Well, I think it's just as valuable for people to go, Oh my gosh, look at these things I'm terrible at, you guys. Mm -hmm. We had a guy going into a performance review and he knew it was going to be bad. He took this assessment the day before. He brought it in and he said, hey, before we talk, can I show you this? The manager looked at it and said, well, no wonder you're doing terrible. You're doing the wrong things. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be in this job. And he actually gave him a new job. And so if we don't- Instead of getting fired or demoted or just beat up. He said he actually walked out with a higher pay. (laughs) because they realized that he had a valuable skill that he needed to use. So what I'm saying is, if people celebrate what they're not good at, Mm -hmm. they're going to appreciate the people that are good at those things. I think it's the hardest thing you teach, Pat. Yeah. I think it's the hardest thing you teach. I think it takes an awful lot of understanding who you are, what you are, what your gifts are, to then be strong enough to say, this is what I don't do. I think it's hard because we've been raised in an environment perhaps we were criticized our whole life or the school constantly hammered you. I mean, I was told as a young age, my Christian brother's teacher told me, you're not a creative person because I didn't have nice handwriting. I remember handwriting? My lowest grade in school. Yes. And I have the cuts from Sister Mary and the cuts on my hands from the ruler (laughs) back in Dublin, right? Because my handwriting wasn't good enough. Like here I am today and my whole world is creativity. You know, we create 114 podcasts this year seven unique seminars, training programs, coaching programs. I'm involved in the creation of almost all of that stuff. So what happens is I think it's tough when we've had cultural or environmental feedback that's telling us, A, your gift, that just gets you into trouble, right? Because you're the idea guy, you have ideas all day long. Pat, can you stop giving us ideas and do something useful? 
Yes. So we're told what we're not with our gifts, and then we're told we're supposed to work on what we're not good at. And that's the culture, and that's corporate America, and that's the system we live in. So how do you break through this on a personal level to truly lean into the gifts that God's given you? A hand is not supposed to do the same as a foot. Yet we have so many people running around going, I'm supposed to walk on this hand every day. And that's why they're frustrated, sore, beat up, hate their job. How do we, as people, beyond the content here, embrace what the content has to deliver, which is that freedom of working inside your gifts, understanding your competency, and celebrating those who do what you don't do? Yeah, I think that, first of all, actually just knowing it, like having some data that says, no, you're not you're not making this up or you really are bad at these things and you really are good at these things. And mm-hmm. so, so that sometimes is like permission to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. But the, the other thing we have to do is look back in our lives and realize how this has played out. I think sometimes looking at our history, I'm two really quick stories. So my dad, God rest his soul, used to get me up to mow the lawn with him every morning, every Saturday morning. I hated it. I hated it. I felt guilty for hating it. I wasn't mm. great at it. And he, mm. he let me know that because, and I didn't know why. <laughs> and I thought, man, I, and I really thought I'm just lazy and not very good. Mm. Right. But my first job out of college, I got a job at a management consulting firm, very prestigious. It was listed in a, in a book that year as the number one place to work in America. I hated it. I spent two years there, longest decade of my life. You were still cutting grass. Yes. And you know something? Both of those jobs. What my dad asked me to do and what I did at Bain and Company was in the two areas that I hate the most. And my dad said this, so E&T, he said, Pat, follow me around and do whatever I tell you and do it perfectly. Don't leave anything undone. Mm-hmm. Whereas what I needed him to do is say, hey, Pat, I want you to look at the lawn. If you, why don't you come up with a way to do this and, and, and decide what you'd like it to look like? Mm. You know, then I'd have been like totally motivated. Now, I'm not faulting my dad. I'm just saying it was plain to my yeah. weaknesses. Yeah. How would he know? Right. I went to Bain. I, I left there after two years. The first thing in my life that I felt like I failed at, even mm. though most people struggled there because of the way that it worked. But it sure. was because I was in the wrong job for me. It took me mm. years to overcome the fact that I thought I was lazy and not very intelligent. Mm. And now I look at this and I go, God didn't make me to succeed in that job. So I think sometimes when we look back and we realize we've failed in things, we succeeded in things, and it wasn't because of the guilt we put on ourselves, but it was because it didn't fit our geniuses. It gives us permission to lean into those things. And I think this is the liberation pack, because millions of people today, millions and millions and millions of people have paid you for your wisdom and insight for a guy who's supposedly not very smart. And for a guy who's well able to retire and doesn't need to work again, you're more jacked up and have more energy, and both of us are the same. We do this because we have such fired-up passion for it because we're inside our working geniuses. Like, the thing is, why would you retire from what God made you to be? Why would I ever hang that up, you know? Oh, my gosh. I know people say, when are you going to retire? And I'm like, well, by the way, I'm writing this. I wrote an article two days ago about retirement and working genius because some people retire. So mm-hmm. let's say they're 65 years old and they're, they, they decide they want to retire. Mm. And it's like, Okay, now you get to do your working genius because you don't have to get paid for it. Go figure out what the perfect job would have been for you and Mm. go do it for free if you need to. But do what you're meant to do. So walk people through the book and, and, and where will the book take them? What journey will the book take them on so that by the time they're finished, where will they be? So, so all of my books are fables, you know, I write write fiction. And, um, this one is about a guy who can't, and it's, there's some, autobiographical roots in it because of my own experience, but he literally is successful 
and is not happy. And then he's happy and he can't figure out why. And mm-hmm. then he starts his own firm. He becomes an entrepreneur. And that's when it gets your clients are going to love this, your, your listeners, because you're an entrepreneur and you're running your own company and you love it. And the whole concept of it is so important and so fun for you. But sometimes you find yourself really miserable. And it took him and the team around him pushing him for him to realize, oh, I have to rethink this. And his wife was like, dude, if you're not going to like this job, I don't know what's wrong with you. And he goes to church and he volunteers. The journey it's, you're going to go on with this character, his name is Bull. You're going to see yourself in Bull. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I'm like him. I love some things. I hate other things. And that's good. And I need to surround myself with people who fill in my gaps. Here is the lesson I really want your people to take away. If you're an entrepreneur, I promise you that the same number of people when they understand their working genius and you look at the work that way, we'll get twice as much done mm-hmm. in the same amount of time. And before you go out and hire, if you want to grow, get people in their working genius mm. because it changes everything. And now when you hire, you're going to hire for like, we need somebody who loves doing this kind of work. Interviewing gets so much easier because when you interview people, you go, do you like tenacity? Are you a tenacious person? Do you like to do this? Because that's what we need. And if you don't like that, you're going to hate your job. And it gets so much easier to find people who slide into the geniuses. Right. And the next thing you know, you're being more productive. You're enjoying what you do more. And by the way, you're being very efficient. And the culture that everyone's talking about, the culture is better. And right now, I believe the timing is perfect. Everybody working from home, the Zoom calls, the this and that. It's easier to hide out than ever before. The fact of the matter is, we need work like this to bring people back to the creativity, the collaboration, and bringing things together to really help with the productivity because the productivity is starting to slip. Absolutely, Brian. You know something else? I think one of my favorite calls I get from people who do the assessment mm-hmm. is when they say, I was going to fire somebody. Entrepreneurs will call me and say, I was going to fire this guy. Mm. And I, I really thought he, did, and he was struggling. And oftentimes they're cultural fits. You should never fire a cultural fit, but they're like, I mean, what can I do? He wasn't doing it. They did the working genius and they said, oh my gosh, I just need to tweak your job. People have avoided letting somebody really good go from their company and they really thought it was the right thing to do. And then they realized they just didn't have the right genius for this job and they tweaked the job and the person's performance went through the roof. The company avoided losing a really good person. That is probably my favorite story. I was going to fire him or I was going to fire her. I looked at their working genius and now I knew how to use them. Another soul saved. Great stuff. Well, the book is out today. It's called The Six Types of Working Genius, A Better Way to Understand Your Gifts, Your Frustrations, and Your Team. It's absolutely fabulous. Like all Pat's books, they're fables. It's easy to read. It's enjoyable. And you will see yourself in the character. No bull. You'll see yourself in bull. That's uh, no question about it. When it comes to the working genius uh, assessment, Pat, how can people find out more about that? Go to workinggenius.com, one word, two Gs in the middle, workinggenius.com. And not only can you get the assessment there, and and uh, and we priced it very low for a reason. Dave Ramsey is a, a friend of mine. And mm-hmm. Dave was like, Pat, this is really good. You should have charged a lot more money for this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. it I, sounds Dave, like Dave. Yeah, I love Dave. But we wanted a sophomore in college to figure to do this. We wanted mm. somebody who wants their kids to do it. We want somebody to get their whole department to do it without feeling like they have to spend a lot of money. So for yeah. $25, you can discover all these things at workinggenius.com. And there's all kinds of free tools and resources and explanations and things like that too. 
Yeah, well, it doesn't sound like you're going to be retiring anytime soon, Pat. You're, you're fired up. You're working inside your genius, blessing other people. you got family members involved and friends involved in a great company you've built. And I thank you for spending the time today. You and I could spend hours and hours talking, and we will again in the future, Lord willing. Thanks again for being at our team leader conference. Our folks just loved you there. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next collaboration. I wish you the very best of luck with the book. It's absolutely fabulous. And uh, I hope people will invest 25 bucks to find out where their genius lies. Then maybe we can help them uh, live the good life in their business a little bit more. So thanks for joining us today, Pat. Really appreciate you and enjoy the time. Thank you, Brian. God bless you, buddy. God bless you. Well, I'm going to leave our call today with a little Irish blessing from a working genius herself, my 92-year-old mother. She just celebrated her 92nd birthday a couple of days ago. Therese Buffini, all the way back in Dublin, is going to send us off with a little Irish blessing. We'll see you next time. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.